From KBOO in Portland, Oregon, this is Religion for Life, religionforlife.com. I'm John Shuck. Religion for Life explores the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. This is a first of a series of interviews about ministers who've left their church, left organized religion, left their faith, perhaps even left God. Their leaving organized religion is experienced both as a loss, but also liberation. Are these collective stories just about ministers losing their faith or changing careers, or are their stories part of a larger movement away from religion and belief altogether? Are we in the midst of the end of religion, perhaps the death of God? For the next three weeks, we will hear three stories of three ex-ministers. Pat Green, who left the ministry and became a taxi driver. Ryan Bell, who took a journey to leave God behind for a year. And my first guest is David Hayward, who blogs at Naked Pastor. He left a 30-year career in ministry behind, and now he facilitates an online community called The Lasting Supper. He's with me via Skype. Welcome, David, to Religion for Life. Thank you so much for having me, John. Uh, you have been uh, a blogger for, I think, for some time, since 2006, on, on The Naked Pastor. Uh, tell me a little bit about that blog and, and the name itself. How did, how did you come up with the name Naked Pastor? Well, uh, Naked Pastor, I won, I won the name in an auction. It was a surprise to me. I put a bid in for it and uh, forgot all about it. And then some months later, I was informed that I won the bid. I freaked out because I wasn't sure how much it was going to cost, but then it wasn't that much, so I went ahead with it. But what I wanted to convey was uh, just the story of a pastor um, bearing his soul. So, uh, you know, nothing else, totally PG. And uh-huh. I just wanted to um, share my struggles and concerns and, you know, uh, discoveries, whatever, as a pastor. And, uh, yeah, so I, I've been blogging there since 2006 or maybe five even but 2006 I sort of took on a challenge to myself that I would start cartooning um, do a cartoon every day I thought I would last a few months but I'm still going in 2015 so my tag line is um, graffiti artist on the wall of religion and uh, it's where I critique religion those parts that I think are uh, damaging or controlling or need to be challenged yeah, and I'd like to talk to you about that part. Uh, you've and you've come from experience. You have been a professional clergy person for thirty years. Yes, that's right. Yeah, uh, I was a student minister, pastor for uh, several years, and then in two thousand and uh, let me see, two thousand seven, I think it was. I was ordained into the Presbyterian Church in Canada. Uh, I pastored there for many years. Then in 95, I left the Presbyterian Church and went into the Vineyard Church. And I became a pastor of a Vineyard Church here in Rosse, New Brunswick, Canada, um, in in 1996. I pastored there to 2002. I went and planted a church in New Hampshire, came back and became the pastor of this church again in uh, 2006 or 5 or something like that. And pastored until 2010. And that's when I left the ministry. Can you tell me about uh, that decision to leave the ministry? I enjoyed what I did, and I I have a very, you know, um, maybe unique understanding of what community can be, where uh, 
it's it's sort of a co-facilitated, co-led, um, where people are free to be themselves, um, where they don't have to subscribe to any certain beliefs, etc. That they can um, discover their own um, spirituality and live authentic lives within within a community where they can find support and affirmation and validation. Of course, the problem is um, uh, always uh, how can I be free without in, um, violating the freedom of someone else? So that's always the, the struggle when, um, when, you know, experimenting with that kind of a community. But, you know, it had some amazing, amazing moments. And when it worked, it was amazing. Um, when it didn't work, it, you know, like any other church conflict or community conflict, it was awful. But I still believe in it. And, um, but as time went on, it, it started to become clear to me that more and more people weren't appreciating what I felt community was. And um, maybe some interpreted it as a lack of leadership, uh, a lack of uh, clear goals and vision and um, a lack of programs that they wanted and things like that. Uh, um, so it came to the point, also theologically, I was, I was stretching myself, and, and I got to a point where um, theologically uh, I and the church were no longer compatible. We came to that agreement, my leadership team and I, and uh, it was just time for me to amicably move on. And so in the spring of 2010, I resigned as pastor. So were your beliefs uh, more, what, theologically liberal or progressive, or is that the right word? Yes, I would say, yeah, I, I'd say so. Um, that, that would be generous. Some people would consider that generous. Some people would say heretical or even oh, okay. non-existent, <laughs> but yeah. Okay, so you really moved to some challenging some of the doctrines of the church in terms of God and Jesus and all that, I suppose. Yes, yeah. In your uh, book, Without a Vision, My People Prosper, you rely a lot on on the book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in which he's writing about community. You know, and I remember that famous line, you know, God God hates visionary dreamers. And you're, you're really, we're taking uh, what he was talking about in regards to community seriously. Yes. Yeah, I think that's a great quote. Um, a lot of people use it but not many people practice it. Um, that's my observation and my experience. I mean, uh, a lot of us love beautiful quotes from amazing people, but um, fewer of us are willing to actually try them out. So I, I, really, I really saw what um, Bonhoeffer was getting at, um, that, that God hates visionary thinking. And I, I really tried to facilitate a community that would live by that, it was really a beautiful thing when it was working. I know a lot of people have different experiences of family, but my, my family, my wife and our three children, I often use them as an example. We don't have a vision. We don't have goals. And we encourage our children, and Lisa and I encourage one another to be who we are and to be free to discover ourselves and to walk our own paths, to be independent, um, in my opinion, uh, health in a healthy way creates healthy interdependence rather than toxic codependence. And so we try to practice that in our family and it works, you know, uh, and I believe the same thing could happen 
in a church or community context. And in fact, that's what I try to do at the Lasting Supper. We don't have a vision or, or goals. We just encourage people to come as they are and to become who they are. You know, it, it works when it works. <laughs> so the Lasting Supper, yeah, let's talk about that for a second. That is what, an online, is it kind of like a, a, a chat room? Uh, well, we do have chat rooms. That's part of the thing. It's an online community. I, I really started it because, you know, the growing population of nuns and duns, people mm-hmm. who have no religion and are done with religion or church. That demographic is growing at a remarkable rate, and I'm one of them. I just realized, really, there's nothing for us when we leave organized religion or we leave the church. Um, We're really sort of left on our own, kind of like explorers or pioneers without supplies. Uh, As long as you're in the church, there's all kinds of resources to help you in your spiritual life, your personal life, your married life, your family life, your financial life, everything. But when you leave the church, you leave behind many things. You leave behind a community, you leave behind friends, you leave behind many resources to help you become the person you want to be or the person you are spiritually. So, you know, I, I call them spiritual refugees. They're, they're kind of without a home, wandering through the wilderness. So that's another aspect of what The Lasting Supper is. It's an online community. We have a private Facebook group that's very active and interactive, as well as the site providing resources for people to become spiritually independent. And the idea behind this, as I'm understanding it, I've, re- I've read uh, some of the uh, the quotes or the testimonials, so to speak, of The Lasting Supper, is that it's a really open group. You don't have to believe things or, or not believe things. That's right. Yeah, we have a wide diversity of people from atheists to church-going believers and even people in, still in ministry. My, my belief is that it's not compatibility uh, that, you know, a belief that brings people together or uh, that creates unity or community, but it's, it's love and mutual respect and dignity. I love the diversity with the belief that when people are, are empowered, uh, they will find their, uh, the spirituality that is theirs, uh, uniquely theirs, and will become better people for it. And, of course, part of that is having a safe space, as much as you can, I suppose, on the Internet, but somewhat of a safe space for people to be vulnerable, to be uh, naked, so to speak. Well, uh, that's one word I I have just posted today on Naked Pastor, actually, on my blog, that safe space. I've come to discover after doing some research. I used to call the uh, Lasting Supper a safe space, but I've come to discover that that's a very a specific technical term used by uh, advocacy groups for um, physical, sexual, etc., abuse victims and survivors, ah. where a safe space is a place with very certain rules, very certain protections, uh, you know, and so on. The Lasting Supper is primarily a place for people to deconstruct spiritually. Uh, okay. However, uh, many of the people who are there have experienced spiritual abuse. But it is not primarily a place that I would call a safe space for people who have suffered, you know, serious physical, sexual, emotional abuse. We are not primarily a support group for abuse survivors. We are primarily a place for people to uh, feel free to be themselves without judgment or correction and to be heard with respect and uh, to grow into their own spiritual independence. 
If you're just joining us on Religion for Life, my guest is David Hayward. He is the keeper of the blog, The Naked Pastor, as well as the online community, The Lasting Supper. He is the author of a number of books, Naked Pastor 101, uh, The Art of Coming Out, uh, Without a Vision, My People Prosper, and The Liberation of Sophia. Uh, He is a graffiti artist on the walls of religion. Tell me a little bit about leadership in religion. You, you were a leader in a, in a church, uh, in a series of churches for 30 years, but you're also critical of leadership. And I'm wondering, is there something inherent uh, within organized religion that leads leaders to be uh, spiritual abusers? Uh, just before we, I answer that question, I just want to say I have another book coming out next week published by Darton Longman and Todd in the UK called Questions Are the Answer. And oh, that's great. just coming out next week, so I just wanted to give you a heads up on that. And I'm really looking forward to the, uh, this book's reception. So, Well, tell me I a just, little bit about that book then, Questions Are the Answer. Well, it's, uh, they approached me to write a book, and we talked a little bit, and we came to the agreement that um, it would be good to sort of tell my story uh, about how I came to the place where I am now. Um, and uh, my journey has largely been... Um, infested with questions uh-huh. and uh, come to find I've come to the conclusion actually that questions are what helped me get to where I am of course in the in organized religion often not always but often questions probing questions are really not welcomed there's a lot of fear around doubt and there's a lot of power in certainty and and things like that so I, the whole book is about my journey struggling with questions for my whole life and getting to the place where that actually embracing the question is the way to peace of mind. So that's what that book's about. And it's got a lot of cartoons in it. I do a lot of cartoons about questions and so on. So, All right. Great. Great. Yeah. So about leadership, you want me to answer that? Yeah, please. A lot of uh, theologians ha- and others have critiqued um, systems who say that systems just come with its own baggage and that when there's leadership uh, or hierarchy that uh, often the default position or the gravitational pull is towards control. You know, being a leader myself in the ministry, I always felt that pull. Uh, it's easier to lay down rules and, uh, and control people than dealing with the daily mess of being a gathering of, of free people. You know, I, I totally understand the tension um, a lot of church leaders have. I'm not against leadership per se, uh, but um, what I do critique is leadership that's become abusive or controlling or manipulative or coercive or toxic or abusive. Those are the kinds of things I question and critique on Naked Pastor. And your cartoons uh, that come out have, have a lot of that that imagery. I, I'm just ones right in my head of a uh, a guy assuming it's the minister holding his Bible and and underneath his, his as you see the sole of his foot and then there's all these people you know he's just stepped on. I mean, so um, you have certainly observed a, a lot of spiritual abuse within these communities. Can you talk a little bit about about that in general terms and what that looks like? Well, I've not only seen it, I've experienced it, and I've not only okay. ex- seen it and experienced it, I've inflicted it, <laughs> because I, yeah, mm. I shouldn't laugh when I say that. But uh, it's, you know, like I said, I was a, a pastor for, for many, many years, and I didn't mean to, uh-huh. or didn't understand the dynamics at the time, or was immature or whatever, but I, I did inflict spiritual abuse uh, of trying to control people or, or you know, 
make them feel shame for who they are or what they've done or, you know, um, use guilt or fear to motivate people. Uh, and I've been on the receiving end of that. Like I, I've experienced it quite a bit. Uh, I know a lot of people, thousands of people. Like I hear from people every day who've experienced it. And um, not a lot of people can talk about it because they're still in the context where the abuse has occurred and they're afraid of being outed. There's a lot of people that deal with fear of, you know, having doubts or questions. And, you know, they might message me privately because they wouldn't dare say anything publicly because of the ramifications that they would suffer from their family, friends and others, you know. So it's, I think it happens a lot. Um, some people don't even recognize it as abuse uh, because it's just normalized. It's become normalized in many church contexts. Yeah, um, so can you give some, maybe some concrete examples of how this plays out? Well, I, uh, one of the most shocking, uh, surprising things that happened to me was I saw a meme going around, uh, an image going around of a homeless person, and then a related story where a pastor, a church was without a pastor, and they were their new pastor was to come this Sunday and, and was going to introduce himself. But what he did was he let his beard and everything grow before he moved there, and he made himself up to look like a, a street person and uh, went into the church and experienced a lot of rejection and people moving away from him and the elders trying to get him to leave and, you know, things like that. And then when it came time to introduce a new pastor, he was the one that walked up and told everybody how terrible a church this was. <laughs> and people were oh, like, wow. awesome, that's incredible. And I'm like, no way, man, that's that's horrible. That's that's shaming, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, and, and so, you know, a lot of uh, – I couldn't believe uh, – um, how people found this acceptable. Kind of like those reality they, TV shows. That, pardon me? I say it's kind of like those reality TV shows where they just shame people. Yeah. I, that, that was just I a thought reminder. it was a horrible way to treat people. I, right. And I suggested, what if, actually the elders were in on it. That's the story. What if these elders showed a positive example? Um, I bet the church would have rallied around that homeless person. Because we, we go with the gravitational pull. We, 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 we go with the pressure that's around us. So, I, you know, I hope the best from people. So I, I, I was alarmed that this story of publicly shaming people was applauded. Um, and because that's normal. It's normal. People actually think it's valid to shame people uh, into, you know, feeling bad about themselves. Um, because, you know, we, some people sing it every Sunday, uh, such a worm as I, you know, it's part of our theology. So, well, yeah, that, that, that's what I was thinking too, as well as spiritual abuse is, is the, the, the thing that you're a wretch and a worm we're miserable people, uh, sinners and all of that kind of stuff and, and hell awaits. I mean, that's the kind of abuse that I, I think, um, that many people experience with default religion all over the place, and yeah. and leaders uh, can tend to 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 use that uh, to strengthen their own programs or whatever. Exactly, like, and there, you know, there's there's good pastors and good churches out there. I know mm -hmm. I've seen them. I've I've been a part of them. I've I've, you know, I've been a part of them. It's it's wonderful when it works. Not to say that they don't have their ups and downs and weaknesses and strengths as well, but there are churches and pastors out there that mean well and, and where people can experience and practice their freedom and uh, experiment with what community really means. 
but you know there are a lot of people out there that don't experience it and i would i would love to see more people be able to enjoy it yes um yeah. I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the book, uh, The Liberation of Sophia. Uh, that is a book that has a text as well as a cartoon that you uh, drew on each page. Um, right. About, uh, and, and it's a woman. It's a naked woman. Her face is covered um, uh, by her hair all the time to represent every person. And, mm-hmm. and you use that to talk about uh, your own uh, liberation. Can you, can you tell a little bit more about what that book is about and what you're doing there? Well, sure. Uh, when I left the ministry in 2010, at first I thought it was okay. Um, it felt great. I felt free. But little did I know that I was entering into a very dark transition uh, that I would call pretty serious, intense deconstruction of um, my beliefs as well as um, having to wean myself off of an, an addiction that I uh, had for most of my life. And that was not only going to church, but leading, leading them. The first year, I, I thought I was okay, but actually I was numb. Um, I, I am an artist. I usually have painted watercolor landscapes, melancholic, moody kind of watercolor landscapes. But one Sunday I sat down and with a pen and paper and pencil, drew a, a picture of a gigantic grizzly bear towering over a little girl, and she's holding up her teddy bear to the grizzly bear. And um, my wife was like, what is that? I mean, she knew what it was, but it was so out of character for me. So I kept drawing and um, every week spending hours and hours on, on each drawing. And after a while, I came to realize I was drawing my own journey. Um, you know, Jung, Carl Jung, the um, psychologist, mm-hmm. the psychologist claims that um, we have an anima, uh, men have an anima and women have an animus, uh, you know, the male and female aspect. So mm-hmm. I, I feel that Sophia, which means wisdom in, in Greek, um, was sort of the expression of my soul. And it's a story of her beginning in captivity and breaking away into her own freedom and into the wilderness. And usually it's dark with a full moon in the pictures, but it's just her journey towards her own spiritual independence, finally to a place where she comes to a, a place of health and uh, independence and authenticity and freedom. So there's 59 drawings, and each drawing has a associated meditation with it. Yeah, and that's what I noticed right off the top, is that her escape is is early. It's right within the few, and then it's really the journey. So the liberation wasn't getting out of the system it was the it was the the whole journey after that and and um and deconstructing what the whole escape was about well yeah because um you know we hear stories of ex-convicts etc when they leave they leave say a long term in in prison it takes them a long time to feel normal in the world again and that's how i felt it took me a long time to feel normal uh-huh. and uh at my liberation even though it was immediate like overnight um from being a pastor of a congregation uh it took me a long time to live into it and actually feel it in my bones so that's what the story is about david hayward my guest on religion for life uh, he keeps the blog nakedpastor.com um and in the liberation of Sophia, there was a uh, a line that stuck out to me, and you wrote about being transparent and how being transparent scares people. 
And mm. I, 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 th- I thought of that as, as kind of, uh, and, as, and I remember reading your blog and, and being quite uh, open and honest about your experience in the ministry. Did you, did you find that uh, people are scared by a little too much vulnerability? Yes. Uh, you know, most people are afraid of being vulnerable, and, and so we project that fear onto others. When other people are vulnerable, we, we feel afraid. You know, uh, it's like being ashamed for somebody else <laughs> because mm-hmm. we would are embarrassed when somebody else does something embarrassing. We feel embarrassed for them. Uh, it's the same way with vulnerability. People are uncomfortable around it, um, not just expressing their own, but seeing it in other people. And, you know, I, I was very vulnerable in my blog and I was kind of maybe I was going to say carefree, but maybe sometimes careless because I realized not many people were reading my blog. My own congregation was like, we have to listen to you every week. Why would we want to listen to you every day? <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, I had a lot of confidence that most people weren't reading it. But then when I um, make it pastor, suddenly be- started to become more and more popular. My cartoons were starting to spread around. I had a pretty significant spiritual experience, traumatic experience in 2009. That started coming out in my blog. I started to express it, my theological changes. And then people in my congregation were being informed from people, local people in other congregations here. Uh, Did you know your pastor saying this and that and the other thing? And uh, and eventually it it reached head office and I was getting phone calls from them. And, uh, you know, it it was just 2009. It was about a year later when I finally left the ministry. It, 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 my vulnerability caught up with me (laughs) and, um, you know, it, it uh, had a lot to do with me leaving the ministry, actually. Yeah, but and that's scary. I mean, that's your career. Um, it's money. It's all of that. That must have been uh, a tough choice to make. It was. I, I remember when I I had left a very uncomfortable meeting when I knew it was, we, I was done. I, I I knew I'd lost the uh, um trust or confidence of the congregation because some of my leaders had lost it. I knew I was done. I texted my wife who was at work. I, I said, I'm, I'm done, honey, I'm done. And she said, I am too. I went home. I walked home um, in the snow. It was like a remarkably liberating feeling. <clears throat> but when I lied on my bed that night, I was in absolute terror. What was I going to do? Because as many pastors know, we are only trained in theology, and that's not a very useful tool in the right. real world. Uh-huh. And um, so, you know, it was terrifying, absolutely terrifying. And I know there's a, I, I know I have a lot of friends in ministry who are experiencing that right now, struggling to stay, um, wondering what they would do, terrified of what they could do, you know. And so, yeah, it was an absolutely terrifying experience for me. Fortunately, the church graciously gave me a severance package, and um, there was some employment insurance involved as well, and but I got a job pretty quickly in a few months teaching English as a second language at a local university here. So, I, I, you know, I, I got rescued fortunately, uh, but it it was a terrifying few months. Well, I appreciate uh, your honesty and your vulnerability, and many people do as well. Uh, those who follow your work, your cartoons, your online community, and your blog, NakedPastor.com. David, that's all, that's all the time we have, but uh, thank you for your work. And uh, tell me again the name of the book that's just coming out. Questions are the answer. Naked Qu- Pastors Search for Understanding. <laughs> all right. Great. Thanks for being with me today. Thank you, John.
You've been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. I'm John Shuck. Find more information about Religion for Life, including links to podcasts, at religionforlife.com. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and hear us on iTunes. Religion for Life is heard on WETS, Johnson City, Tennessee, WEHC, Emory, Virginia, KZUM, Lincoln, Nebraska, and Religion for Life is produced at KBOO Portland. Do well.